All right, everyone, welcome back to Check the Kick podcast brought to you by SureDog.com. And I have a special guest with me. I have the homie Greg back again. How's it going, bro? Happy to have you back. Thanks for having me. And did you enjoy the fights? They're pretty crazy, right? Just a bunch of underdogs. I thought the card, I thought it was fun, really entertaining. A bunch of underdogs. Uh, That Elvis Brenner fight was incredible. Um, A lot of surprises. Um, I thought it was great overall. I I was uh, thoroughly entertained. Dude, me too. Um, don't want to spend too much time on the Elvis Brenner Grum Kutatalade, but he's the biggest underdog on the card. And you guys need to probably you can find it on maybe Dana's Instagram or somewhere on social media. Hit up Twitter, shit Google. Um, the gash on Brenner's head that he received from an elbow on bottom looked like to be about five inches long, and it looked like someone just walked up to him and hit him in the head with a hatchet um freaking nuts um but we're gonna go ahead and start uh we're gonna start the segment with out with the old and gonna just start at the top sean strickland knocking out tko stoppage over abus pian magomedov and what a hell of a performance from sean strickland man he um people are calling it his best performance. I'm not going to call it that because I think his performance over Brendan Allen was better than this one, just because of who Brendan Allen has become. However, Abus came in um, and was being shot way up the rankings. Um, and to, to go from his previous opponent to Sean Strickland was, you know, the equivalent of taking one whole flight of stairs in one step. Um, <laughs> he got shot way up and Abus failed. Um, what did you think about Strickland's performance, man? I thought it was great. He came out and, uh, he was trying to get reads, I think, and, and let, uh, let Abus kind of burn out. I mean, he threw a bunch of teeps, uh, teep kicks, just throwing punches and was just, uh, Strickland was just playing defense. I think earlier when we spoke, you mentioned that he was playing it safe and he was for sure. Just try not to get hit with anything big and kind of feel them out a little bit. And um, it really showed. And then in the second round, not to jump ahead too far, um, without talking about that that wrestling exchange, when he was on the ground, he looked super confident and comfortable and was not uh, in the least bit concerned, it seemed like, and got back up. And that's when it seemed like the tables turned and um, Abus was, was probably a little bit um, Looked like he was out of gas a little bit there, buddy. <laughs> he looks like uh he's got like the gas tank of a goped. <laughs> I mean, it's uh I the my takeaway, I was actually surprised because it you know, we talked about this, but it's a it's a main event, five round main event. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen someone, especially at middleweight, essentially what seemed like burned out. Um, I don't know how much of that was psychological. I don't know how much of it was cardio. Um, and Strickland for sure got some shots in to start the second round, but it definitely seemed like he, like yeah, he threw everything he had at him. Um, didn't like what was coming back in return. And that was all she wrote. It wasn't a sorry. It was weird. No, it was weird, man. Like Abu's had a, a bit of success with the body kicks, and he was throwing the teep to the body. And I think maybe he was trying to set up the teep up top. Um, he had some success with leg kicks. There was one that Sean Strickland kind of lifted his leg up and checked a little bit. But I don't think Sean Strickland is going to be a guy that 
you know, he, he seems to be a guy that's just super tough, super durable. Um, you know, remove the Alex Pereira knockout. You know, Alex Pereira is going to do that to every single person he fights. That's Alex Pereira has done that his whole entire career. Um, but I don't know if a guy like Sean Strickland is just going to get eaten up with leg kicks like that. I don't know. You you more have to hit like a perennial nerve to really damage his leg. I don't think just constant thuds. Maybe through three or four rounds, it would finally catch up. But um, got hit with some leg kicks. The teep kick to the pot, body was working. There was two like leaping left hooks that Abus um, did catch him with. But to no avail, he... Like you, like you said, even the first three minutes of the first round, um, Abus was just laying out a lot of volume, body kicks, throwing throwing shots, leg kicks, tons of stuff. But Sean Strickland, I think he might have just been doing the tape study and probably saw what kind of I saw um, where Abus seems to maybe gas a little bit and he definitely doesn't like to fight off the back foot. That, that pressure was kind of um, eating him alive where... Sean Strickland eventually just waterfalled him. There was that takedown that Abu got, and Sean Strickland kind of gave his back and almost got the body triangle locked up. But Sean Strickland has really good BJJ, and he was able to reverse out of that. Um, the second he got up, like you said, Abu kind of fixed his pants and reset. And I watched him take a deep gasp. Right. And dude, when he took that deep gasp, I even shot this into the sure dog Slack chat. I was like, Abu looks a little tired here. And, um, Dude, I think that was it for him. He was tired of shit. Um, and then Sean Strickland just got on the front foot and just put a jab on him. And then after the jab landed, even the end of the first round, Sean, you could see the, you know, you could see everything start to shift in Sean Strickland's favor. The jab really got on Sean. Sean Strickland's jab just really got on Abus. And then once the second round started, Sean Strickland started putting his right hand straight down the pipe behind the jab. And the way that Abus tries to turn to defend from shots, a lot of the shots were hitting Abus behind the ear. And then Abus just took the back foot at back foot and just kind of got, you know, effed up with his back along the cage, you know? Um, Is it unfair to question his preparedness? I mean, this was a five round fight and he wasn't ready for a one round fight. Is that, um, do you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? These are high level athletes. Is it unfair to, to watch that fight and, and question how prepared he was? Well, if you think about it, he had fought through the PFL, fought for the million bucks, got knocked out by Lewis Taylor. He's had a ton of success in his career. Um, but some dudes are just kind of front runners, you know, where like when the going gets tough, they get going. I don't want to call Abus a front runner, but at the same time, like, I mean, you are not going to be able to front kick Sean Strickland out of a fight like you. You know, I think he thought he was Alex Pereira. I think he thought he was just going to be able to go in there and do the same thing Alex Pajara did to Strickland. And like, that's just not going to happen to a guy like Sean Strickland. Like Alex Pajara is an enigma, dude. Yeah. And Strickland was going to be able to do that for five rounds. And he came into the fight knowing that and capable of it. And um, just incredible. He, he, um, what he was able to do to, where he was lining up his right hand against the cage. The second Abus had to start taking the back foot. Abus was also circling into Sean Strickland's power, which I never like. Um, And he was just raining down combinations on him. There was like a seven punch combo that Sean Strickland threw some, some 
looping shots around Abus's guard. And again, he just kind of like hit him with a waterfall of volume and made Abus quit. I wish he went to the body a little more. You know, there, there was that sequence with about 204 left in the second round where I think it was like two four punch combos or just an eight punch combo with uh, when Strickland really showed fast hands and really, really let some punches go. It was really smooth. It was like the beginning and the end. Yeah. Long beginning. That dude, that fight was like over. That fight was over, like you said, dude. When there was like two minutes, like two minutes into that second round, that fight kind of looked already over. And the final blow where Abus was just like turned his whole body sideways and was walking with his left shoulder against the octagon. And Sean Strickland just nailed him with a shot right behind the ear. And that's what made him just fall over. But he wilted. Like, it, it was just like, you know, like leaving a, a fresh produce in the sun for too long. You know, eventually he just withered and withered and withered and withered. And then it was just, he was done. Um, it wasn't very competitive um, for a main event. Which is fine. Because this was, you know... And we'll talk about the the Fakhardinov Kevin Lee fight here in a second, but this was you know one of those where, hey, if Sean Strickland wins, you know he'll get maybe another main event, co-main event. Maybe he'll fight at the apex again. Sean Strickland said he made a bunch of money for this fight, and then if Abus wins, you know they get this crazy Russian dude that has you know if the UFC probably figured like, hey, let's test this guy out. You know, we just signed him. We're not paying him a little bit of money. He's got, he's got over 30 fight over 30 pro fights. Let's just throw him in the fire and, and, you know, we'll throw him in the water and see if he can swim. And no, he drowned. Like that was just, and that's going to be it for Abus. Um, Like what's next for him, you know, to me is you, you know, we talked previous and you're like, he's going to fight a contender series guy. And I was like, yeah, they'll probably just line him up with someone like Joe Pfeiffer. You know, yeah, Dana loves Joe Pfeiffer, and the matchmakers like Joe Pfeiffer. You know, maybe build, build off of Abus at this point, um, because he's gonna be able to get low level people out out of there, like dudes like Dustin Solskjaer. Like he's gonna be able to get those guys out of there, but there's a lot more, you know, higher level guys that are durable, that hit hard, that can take your shots more than someone like Stolzwitz. Um, but I have no idea what they would do with someone like Abu Snag. I just know no clue, man. At a minimum, he's got to show that he can go three rounds. I mean, not to state the obvious, but. Dude, totally. And he, um, he, if that fight would have started a third round, like I don't even know what, would have happened in between two and three. He would have just came out for a third round and got one punch. Strickland, like you said, Strickland could have done Strickland's second round could have also been his fifth round. Like you saw him absolutely hang tough with Cannoneer in a fight. I thought he won and go five rounds. And I mean, shout out to can someone like Cannoneer for having the ability to do that where he's at in his career. But Strickland's another one of those dudes. And I think for Strickland, like what's up, what's next for him? I mean, in the UFC alone, I put Israel at the top. I put Whitaker number two. And then like tied for number three, I'm putting 
I'm putting Strickland over Vittori. Um, and you know, you don't want to use MMA math, but Cannoneer bludgeoned Vittori and Cannoneer had a super close, highly contested fight with Strickland. Strickland's beat everyone else. You know, they keep giving him contenders. He keeps, you know, kicking the door closed on him. So yeah, I'm putting him right on that third tier right next to Cannoneer and um, depending on how the Duplessis Robert Whitaker fight goes, I think for Strickland, you know, he a title shot could be in his picture. I'd like to see that. And we discussed the division as a whole, and you know, there's not a lot of options. No, and like, and there's not going to be options for a hot minute. You know, you got dudes like Ikram Alaskarov that's fighting Paulo Costa, but I don't even know if Paulo Costa is going to that that fight's going to happen because Paulo Costa's weird as shit. Um, Bo Nickel is like a dude that's coming up, but Bo Nickel's fighting Trayshawn Gore. Like Bo Nickel's not in a contender's fight for a year or two, you know? I don't think they're going to super rush that either, or nor should they, because they have no. something potentially really special with him. Mm-hmm. But he needs, he needs, uh, you know, he needs some more experience. Yeah. And as far as a press conference goes, Izzy's already beat Cannoneer. And as far as a press conference goes, like, I don't know if they're going to get a, a better soundbite out of any other contenders, but you know, other than like Strickland and Izzy, like what's going to be a better soundbite. I think you're, think you're spot on with that. Dude, you Doesn't do a press a conference, fight. you do a press conference <laughs> like a month out from that fight. And then just fucking circus. I said it. There's my one curse word for the show. Um, You just circulate, you just circulate those, those like, little one-liners from from strickland just making dude the last time they were at a press conference together they weren't even fighting each other and israel was seething he was so upset with strickland so i could only imagine you know we'll talk about kevin lee in a little bit too but i could see it looking like kiesa and kevin lee from back in the day where um izzy just loses it because strickland just gets him so upset um i think it'd be really funny too quite yeah. frankly um Watching Strickland get so under Israel's skin so easily, so quickly. I mean, geez, imagine those dudes matched up, forced to fight each other. We're forced to listen to that press conference. Is 80% of the things Sean Strickland says unbearable? Pretty much. But if it's directed toward Izzy, watching Izzy get, Izzy get angry would just be so funny to me. What about stylistically? Not to jump too far ahead, but what would you think of the fight? Dude, stylistically, I think Israel should have every reason to win that fight. You know, just because Sean Strickland is hittable, you know. Um, what, you know, and I kind of want to talk about this a little bit more. Sean Strickland did defend a lot of shots from Abus, circling back to to, to the main event here. Um, and I, I could see him doing something similar to Izzy, but not having as much success. He does a lot of hand fighting. Like Sean Strickland's got right. really good parrying. Um, if you, when I was tape studying for this, there was in the Brendan Allen fight, there was a moment where he marched Brendan Allen towards the cage. Brendan Allen was pillared against the cage, and Sean Strickland went and grabbed both of his wrists, parried both hands down, and threw a looping right, right around, like right around the guard. And he wasn't doing that to Abus, but he was doing a lot of hand fighting, a lot of swatting. Um, Sean Strickland has really good vision. He might have the best vision in that division. Um, 
where you could tell he just spars all the time where things don't bother him. Um, and he can still be get hit with shots that he doesn't see. Again, Abu's clipped him with two big leaping left hooks. Um, and I could see him having success against Izzy. Sean Strickland can also grapple. He's not a good wrestler, but he has good grappling. He showed that today. Um, I really like to watch people's demeanors when they're in grappling exchanges, especially if they're in the losing, if they're on the losing side of a grappling exchange. And like, just like you said it, dude, like Sean Strickland was, there was not one like sliver of panic on his face. Not at all. Like his he face looked, remained the same when yeah. he was finishing Abus. You know, like the finishing sequence looked exactly the same facial wise as him losing, you know, almost having his back. <laughs> Like he, it was just like, he was just like, I don't care. Like, this is not nothing I've never seen. Um, really good performance for Strickland. He won, uh, he got a performance bonus to 50 G's. That's great. Deserved. Well deserved. He is such a mother effort too. Like he pulled up the UFC posted these pictures. You guys should go to the UFC's uh, Twitter or Instagram. There's pictures of Sean Strickland, like parking is in a white t-shirt with a carabiner with his like house keys on his belt buckle pulls up to the apex, parks his motorcycle right out front, goes in there, fights the main event. And then on Sean Strickland's Instagram story, like 35 minutes later, it's him just on the highway recording himself driving. He's wearing, a, Sean Strickland wears a helmet. So like, he's not that much of an idiot. Like he wears a helmet on his motorcycle, but it's him just, you know, selfie. He's still recording a video while he drives his motorcycle, but riding his motorcycle home to his apartment that has like a TV table thing and like a folding chair and a one fork <laughs> like he's wild dude like he's becoming one of the characters of the ufc so moving on to another fight that was actually pretty awesome in my opinion and a pretty big underdog win we got benoit saint denis beating ishmael bonfim via rear naked choke slash neck crank um and this is a pretty just number one um egotistical cocky performance from ishmael bonfim and then a smart calculated performance from uh, benoit saint denis he they came out and they didn't touch gloves at all um and bonfim threw a big overhand right and saint denis um cracked him with a body kick and the reason why his body kick works so well is because saint denis was throwing that left body kick out of the southpaw. Bonfim is orthodox fighter, so that body kick is open. Um, you said before the first wrestling exchange, there was like 13 kicks that um, St. Denny threw. And Ishmael was like... <laughs> it was just funny because he, he was calling him on and he was saying, yeah, you hit my arm, you hit my arm, I'm blocking your kicks, you hit my arm. And then in the, in the post-fight... St. Denis was saying like, Hey, my point was to kick his arms because I knew he was going to block stuff. I want to kick his arms as much as possible and, and kill his arms because he's such a good boxer with great power. And, um, St. Denis hit him with like, you know, I, I didn't count him. You said it was 13. I'm going to say 13 hit him with like, you know, at least 10 body kicks, some blocks, some not, but you could see the obvious welt that was like bleeding on the side of Bonfim. Um, he was Bonfim was trying to counter the body kick with an overhand right, and someone a seasoned 
in MMA as him should know that if someone's body kicking you with the end of their kick, you're not going to be able to reach them with an overhand. <laughs> like your legs are longer than your arms and an overhand. However, it is a fast punch. It's not going to be as fast as a straight punch. So Bonfim was trying to counter a body kick with a big overhand. Wasn't trying to catch it. If you can catch the kick and fire an overhand, but he wasn't even trying to do that. Um, he buzzed St. Denis a couple times in this fight. He hit him with the jump knee one time, hit him with some good punches. There was one good moment where St. Denis made a really good read and got a, a nice duck under takedown where he kind of faked the body kick, drew the right hand out of Bonfim, and then used the duck under and, and hit him with a nice blast takedown and got into full mount. Um, at that point, I thought it was almost even a wrap, but Bonfim was able to scramble out of that. Um before I break down the fight anymore, what do you think about Bonfim's look and kind of ego, how he approached um, St. Denis in this fight? I don't think he respects St. Denis enough. I think that's, I think that's pretty fair. I don't think he did either. And I think St. Denis, I think it was a combination of things because I think St. Denis came out with a intensity, um, super intense and with a game plan that he stuck to. And it was unofficially 13, 13 kicks in the first 60 seconds and a takedown. So he, he came out of the gates blasting. Um, and I think that was, obviously that was the game plan. You know, the kill, the kill his arms was the quote in the, for the strategy in the post fight. And um, Bonfim did have some success though, to your point, like after that, after the takedown, when they're back on their feet, you know, um, I think he might've even hurt St. Denis. He at, did a couple times a, a little bit and um that was where it was starting to get interesting but saint denis just he was on, a man on a mission is and i and one reason that i say that too i think um you know the names he called out after the fight of who he wants to fight <laughs> next i think he wanted to prove a point so i think he had a setup for this whole thing where you know i'm sick of playing around yeah um his if i remember correctly his previous fight was canceled so he hasn't fought in a while and I think he came out saying, I want to put, because um, the Bonfim brothers have gotten a lot of publicity and the UFC is definitely, um, I wouldn't say showcase them, but, you know, people have talked about them. And I think he wanted to use this, uh, this fight as a statement, that being St. Denis. Yeah. And I, I think Bonfim also probably wanted to do the same thing. I think, you know, seven out of 10 times, I think Bonfim could probably just get his hands working with the proper respect and the proper game plan. Like he was down blocking. He was able to, he, he buzzed Bonfim. He threw He switched stance and threw like a big overhand left and kind of click, kind of clipped St. Denis in the back of the head almost and put him on skates, sent Denis shot like a kind of desperation takedown in that mm -hmm. moment. And I was like, Oh shit, you know, this is done. Even like the final grappling exchange did not come from a takedown. Um, Bonfim defended a lot of those takedowns. His down blocking was great. His, mm -hmm. you know, downward elbows, yep. um, defending the takedowns were great. Bonfim is a really good fighter. I think Saint Denis just fought a better fight tonight. Um, he he was also mixing up the body kick, and then also going to the head, and they were getting blocked. But again, you know, that was part of his game plan. And I, I think that that um, the stance is the way that you know they were just squared off with each other. St. Denis being a Southpaw and throwing that Southpaw kick over and over again, 
just spamming it. It really reminded me of Jan Blahovich versus Dominic Reyes, where the body damage was visible. And I know that, I mean, imagine someone's just hitting you with a baseball bat over and over again. Even if you block it, it's going to suck. And, yeah. and some of them are going to get through. Um, when Bomfim was on his back in full mount, you could see a huge welt that was bleeding. Um, and then the end of the fight was there was a, an entanglement against the cage and Benoit Saint-Denis ended up getting getting his back, getting Bomfim's back and kind of tripped Bomfim up. And then he just sold out and went right for the back take and got in the body triangle, which was pretty dope. Like he sold out, went for it and got it. And another thing I noticed was Saint Denis looked big. Yep. He was definitely bigger than Bonfim. Bonfim was faster yep. and more explosive, but Saint Denis looked bigger. He finished that fight with was it 13 seconds left? There was and, like thir- yeah. And was that a crank? Because I didn't see him under the chin and I watched it a couple times, but you never know when you're unless you're i mean you're in your position yeah yeah no it was a net crank i'm gonna call it a net crank because the choke wasn't in but i mean he he must have a hell of a squeeze and something that another thing that was surprising that surprised me by bon feem was like he showed he showed that he could hurt saint denis bon feem is a violent dude like and he Mm -hmm. is good um this is actually a really really good win man like this is you know he was a big underdog and this is this is a great win by by Saint Denis, but um, look at Saint Denis' fight with uh, Aleski dos Santos, where he took an absolute freaking beating. That was right. uh, his debut to the UFC upper weight class, and Aleski dos Santos is can be violent, and he was definitely more violent at that time than he is now. You're not gonna be, like Saint Denis is not gonna quit on himself. No, he's not gonna show up like Abus Magomedov. Saint Denis, sure. like he's not going to show up to a fight. He's not going to gas out. He's not going to wilt. You, you, you have to kill him to break him. And um, it comes from a special forces uh, career. Yeah, you know, so that's ingrained in him. He's literally built different. And I think you know, <laughs> yeah. and I, I think someone like him, it's weird because like he wants to grapple, but he's also like a blood and guts dude. You know. Right. Right, which is just dope. Like he's a yeah. blood and guts guy, but he's also a guy that wants to grapple. And I think he's big for the division. He, like you said, you know, he called out dudes way at the top of the division. He called out Gamrot. Not going to happen, but I respect it. That's your moment on the mic, dude. Call your freaking shot. Um, he said that he he said that he wanted a, a big name. I think someone that's a stepping stone between there um, would be someone like Joel Alvarez. What do you think about that? I think that's a great pick. I think it um, makes a lot of sense. Um, Joel Alvarez he, crushed someone like Moicano. He, does Alvarez have a fight lined up? I don't believe so. That's kind of why I went with him. Um, I was also thinking maybe Drew Dober. Coming off a loss. Yep. Um, and St. Denis, you know, he had some fights booked, but he hadn't fought in like 10 months. Um and he just needs to get more active. He's not very young, but he's not very old either. Um, and with his with his game, he's going to make a fun fight with everybody. All of his fights are good fights. All of his fights are fun fights. Um, big shout out to Saint Denis. Um, and Bonfim will be back. He um, 
Vegas is just going to have such a hard time making betting odds for that guy, you know, to go out there and and be an underdog and go out there and and beat a guy that was highly touted and a fan favorite like Terrence McKinney and then, you know, then become a big favorite and get matched up with St. Denis and then lose the way he did and and he kind of fought like an asshole. Um just it, it's going to be interesting. In its early in his career in the UFC. Yeah. And let's see how this loss ages too. If St. Denis goes on a bit of a run, these guys, you know, may find themselves. Yeah. Uh, in the, you know, as ranked fighters. Yeah. Or it could the, just be a one-off, right. you know, dude, there's tons of great MMA fighters that just have one-offs, you know, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes they get them back. Sometimes they don't, but like Steve Amio just got knocked out by Stefan Struve. Right. You know, it's just, Again, that's at heavyweight, but still, you know, it's just MMA, dude. It's so freaking volatile. Anything can happen. And if you don't show up 100% and have all your, you know, have all your ducks in a row, you're going to lose. And that's why Bonfim lost this fight. I really, really do think, though, um, and if anyone that's a fighter that listens to this and you don't know this already, you just have to respect your opponents. Like, this is the UFC. And no matter who you think you are, like you need to expect that your opponent's going to show up and be the best that he can be. And I really do think um, Bomfim didn't respect Saint Denis, and I think that's what kind of failed him here. Um, moving on to the final fight. Um, speaking of people that failed, uh, Renat Fakhardinov just kills Kevin Lee, and this was a quick. <laughs> I mean, dude, this fight, we both picked, we, you, you were on the, we both picked the Sean Strickland fight, right? We both picked this one, right? The one that we got wrong was the Demiris Magulov fight. We're not here to talk about that because we don't talk about our losses. <laughs> um, but uh, we were right about this one, but it did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Um, I thought Kevin Lee would probably have a pretty good first round and then do what he does and probably lose two rounds and then lose the third round worse than he lost the second round. But um, Fakhar Dinov, man. He looked really good, and I don't know if Kevin Lee is just done or Fokker Dinov looked really good or if it's a mixture of both, but Fokker Dinov's jab, he fired two overhand rights. The first one buzzed Kevin Lee in a, in a weird exchange where Kevin Lee tried to counter back with two hooks, and um, Fokker Dinov is such a Russian striker where, he, you know, he... Sometimes it looks great and sometimes it looks weird. Like his defensive stuff is like kind of flinchy and, and weird. Um, because he doesn't have like a very like you know, like if you look at American boxing, they're way slicker defense. Yeah, he doesn't have super slick defense. He's kind of just ducking and moving his head weird, but he buzzed Kevin Lee with an overhand, you know, kind of in the first exchange where he decided to throw it, and then he threw it straight. You know, he, he went from the overhand and they switched it to a straight one-two. Fakhardinov's jab looked so good. It was a jousting jab that was making Kevin Lee reset over and over again. And then that's straight right down the pipe. All the commentary thought the fight was over. Kevin Lee goes for a desperation, extremely low legs, you know, like lower than the knees, double leg takedown. And um, that front, that front headlock game, that front guillotine, just a power guillotine, did you hear someone in the crowd scream, he's out, he's out? And that's what triggered Herb Dean to go and yeah. check him. But Fokhar Dinov had that front headlock, and he was sunken down, and Kevin Lee's arms were trapped behind his knees. So Kevin Lee's arms were stuck. Right. Like, 
that was so bad, dude. <laughs> like, I don't want to laugh about it, but I'm, I'm only, glad, I'm glad I'm that it wasn't worse because it when he got up, he just uh he just melted. Dude, I mean, he was, was out like, cold. It, like who knows it was how like, long he was out. Dude, it was like the Leota Machida fucking Jesus John Jones, like we're just in a like you ever go into someone that hunts house and they have those rugs of like the bears where they're just like laid out, mm-hmm. you know, like a taxidermy just laid out complete. That's what Kevin Lee looked like. He looked like a rug. He was just done. He. I kind of knew that Fakardino. I mean, I knew that he had it first. I didn't think that he had it because remember he, before he sat down on it, he was kind of, he sunk it in and it was, it was kind of high. And then he, um, and then he sat down on it and I, and I was thinking to myself, like, he must have it because he's going after it so hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? A and dude. then um, I think Herb Dean went to check Kevin Lee's arms, but they were stuck trapped. <laughs> it was a bad, it was a bad situation. I mean, oh, even to make light of it, but it, yeah. uh, it, I mean, it was a club and sub, you know, essentially. A beautiful club and sub. I'm here for club and subs. I love club and sub. I I love some. I love the ability to identify and switch. Um, Fakhradinov is. I think this makes him 21 and one. So 21 wins, one loss. Loss is you know, old flash in the pan. One of those again. One of those kind of shit happens losses. Um, and he's now gone, gone from the likes of you know Brian Battle winning a three-round decision, but he hurt battle on that fight to now just punching through Kevin Lee. Um, So he came out pressuring, you know, and and we're talking about his punches, but he also had a lot of kicks. He was was mixing it up for sure coming out. And I think, you know, we would just because of his style think that um, he was setting up the takedown, right? But I think he was having so much success. Obviously he dropped them. And that was a one-two, and he caught him with the two on that, yep. right? And he dropped him. That is you know, beautiful too. Yeah, yeah, it was. You know what I noticed too is he. Why I didn't think he was going to be trying to set up that that wrestling is, if you go back and watch the fight, anyone that watched this fight, I watched it just again, right again before we started recording, and he was Vakardino was really planted. He wasn't bouncy. Usually people that are going to mix in the takedown, they're going to be bouncy. That way they can throw a strike and hide their takedown right behind it. But Fakhradinov was very planted. His so feet that's, were a planted. Great, that's a great observation. It's a great and observation. When you see someone with their feet planted, like, you know, and they're walking forward feet planted, like, you know, they're there to try to throw like, and he stated in the, in the post fight that he, he habitually watched that Gregor Gillespie, Gregor Gillespie fight, and he said he watched it up into that morning. Like he had studied Kevin Lee, and just great game put together by Fakhradinov and their team. Um, his jab was great. His leg kicks looked great. His power looked good. I love that he was able to buzz Kevin Lee with an overhand, but realized that his overhand was not fast enough to where Kevin Lee could read and throw you know a couple of hooks behind it. But the second that Kevin Lee kind of took that took that angle, Fakhardinov threw that the jab, and then the straight right was the, just. I mean, he hit him with the end of the punch, and he punched straight through him, and it just jarred him. Flash knockdown, and 
man, the way that he sunk in on that front headlock, just that power guillotine was all of his weight downward plus Kevin Lee's force going against it. And poor Kevin Lee, man, you don't ever want to see someone be choked that long. Like, the whole like New York subway thing where that dude was, I mean, that dude was choked for way longer, but like being, being in a guillotine like that and kind of having your head squeeze and being out, you know, any longer can cause some serious damage, especially getting knocked out right before it happens. Um, club and subs have got to be scary, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just to get flash knocked out and then all of a sudden your head's getting squeezed off you get knocked down you wake back up and you get knocked out again um and come on herb like herb dean like what are you doing someone in the crowd that's why i was laughing because someone in the crowd had to say he's out he's out before herb dean reacted and like that's a that's in the so, business it's a it's a position of uh immense responsibility you know herb dean you know yeah man like come on herb you gotta just you know and it was tough his arms are trapped and you don't know it, you know to his defense it was not a typical usually you have an arm to pick up or to touch or yeah. anything but there was he was trapped dude this one was so weird like but it, the performance i mean it definitely was a a standout performance. Yeah, standout performance for Renat Fakhradinov. And this was another one of those matchmaking things where we kind of talked about it earlier where Kevin Lee gets a win and Kevin Lee is back, to, back in the UFC. He's got a win against a guy that's 21-1 and one or or 20-1 and one at the time. Big name, a, a Russian killer. And this shoots Kevin Lee back up into the rankings. The problem with Kevin Lee is if you look at his record, you know, he hasn't beat anyone. His last win was against Diego Sanchez in Eagle FC a couple years ago. And then he's never really had success at welterweight and they keep throwing him big bones. Like he fought RDA at welterweight. He fought D rod. And then now they're making a fight for, you know, we're not Dinov. Like he either doesn't fight again or needs a really big step back, or maybe he needs to try to figure out lightweight. Um, but this performance doesn't give me any hope in Kevin Lee's future in the UFC. I can see them using him as a building block. Now we're talking about bond themes, the other bond theme brother, the younger one, um, Gabriel, I believe his name is. Um, I could see the UFC trying to match Kevin Lee up with someone like uh, Gabriel bond theme. Um, and maybe use him as a stepping stone for Renat Fakhradinov. Um, I think they need to give him a jump up in the rankings. I think he deserves it. He's, got one loss on his record um give him the leech the leech is coming off of a of a spinal injury but he says he's going to be fighting again the leech is probably going to be like he's 35 now probably 36 by the time he returns leech is going to be on the way out leech kind of has a semi name he's kind of a ufc chinese ufc og i think renat fakardinov versus the leech would be a good test for 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 fakardinov um and and just another step up in the rankings shoot this guy up He's in his 30s. He's, you know, now's the time for, for Frakardinov. I think it's, I think that's a good one. I think it depends on um, how the UFC wants to handle him, right? And I've got a couple names if you're interested. Totally, please. I think um, just as the Leech is a big name, uh, Michael Chiesa and Kevin Holland are fighting in a, next week, I believe, right? They're on the car coming yep. up. Yep. Um, 
I'd like to see Fakhradinov against the loser of that. Both are fringe rankings. Kiss is in the back of the top 15. Um, Holland's a name. He's fought a lot of people. I think that would be a good test. Either one of them would be a good test for Fakhradinov and be a name as well. Totally. Um, for promotion purposes. And if they really wanted to fast track him and, and give him a shot at breaking into the rankings, you know, Magni just fought. He just uh, he just shut down Roe and he needs an opponent. He doesn't have anything lined up right now. Um, again, that would be more of a fast track for Fakhradina, but um, you know, the guys of that, totally. it just depends on how they want to, how the promotion wants to handle him. He looks like, I mean, I don't think he's going to have an injury coming off this fight at all. He's not going to have any sort of <laughs> medical suspension. You know, he could probably, you know, if there was a fight available for him at 185, he could probably do it in a week. You know what I mean? So right. I think he, hopefully they can just get him match made soon. I don't think Neil Magny's injured coming off the, the, the Phil Rowe fight that he just skated by on. Um, I like that for him, too, because Magny's a big test. Magny doesn't really deny people. And with a very highly contested win that he just had, you know, um, you don't want to match make it like it's a loss because it's Neil Magny and Neil Magny deserves to be respected. However, um, now's the time for Fakhradinov and Magny's not going to be a title challenger. Yeah, and that's exactly why I wanted, you know, that would be more the fast track because he is coming off of a win. But in essence, he is he is a into like a gatekeeper. Yeah. Uh, role. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. It'd be a great test, and Magny's great at that. Yeah, um, um, I yeah. agree with it. I like it. Um, I might almost might like it more than the Lee fight, and I think it's probably more possible with where they are and Lee's, you know, back injury stuff. Either way, it seems like we both want him to fight an old dog that is on the outskirts of the, you know, within, you know, ten to twenty in the rankings there. Maybe if we can get him shot into the top 15, that'd be great. I'm sure he'd like that too, man. Um, so that's going to wrap up the first segment of the show. I appreciate you so much for hopping on, bro. Please stay tuned for the next segment and have a great day, guys. All right, everyone. Welcome back. We're going to go ahead and kick off the second segment of the show called What's Hot? Real quick, one more time. Thank you again to Greg for joining me for my first segment of the show. And what I would like to discuss today on what's hot is kind of the title picture in the future of the middleweight division. This weekend coming up, UFC 290, we have Robert Whitaker versus Drikas Duplessis, and it seems to be kind of a title eliminator. But we have Sean Strickland also coming off of a really impressive performance, um, even though over an unranked guy. Abus seems to be highly touted by at least the UFC matchmakers. Um, and we're kind of stuck in a pickle with Alex Pereira leaving the division. Um, and all of the contenders kind of already losing to, to Israel. We have Robert Whitaker, um, two losses to Israel. First time he got violently finished in the second round. And arguably that fight could have been stopped in the first round. And then in their second fight, a lot closer of a fight. Some people scored it for Robert. Um, kind of a boring fight, in my opinion. But either way, a win from Israel Adesanya defending his title and beating Robert Whitaker for a second time. And then now that kind of leaves us with a potential rematch for Jared Cannonier, Or if 
Duplessis can can kind of pull the rabbit out of the hat and and beat Robert Whitaker, he may be primed for a title shot here. The only issue is a guy like Robert Whitaker is, you know, outside of the champion is probably the worst fight for someone like Drikus Duplessis. And I'm not going to be covering that fight. I did not decide to to handicap and pick that fight. Um, but just so you guys are aware, um, Drikus Duplessis is a more than three to one underdog. Robert Whitaker is more than a four to one favorite to win that fight. Um, and the reason why I'm not picking it is because I see it as a super one sided fight in favor of Robert Whitaker, which really leaves us in a pickle. Um, the only thing that we have to kind of look at is both of these other title challengers being Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland are both coming off of really impressive performances the weekend before last. Jared Cannonier, you know, had a bad first round against Marvin Vittori, came back and absolutely, you know, beat his head in like a drum. And then Sean Strickland came and kind of just washed Abus this past weekend. So those are two guys that I'm thinking that could be in the title picture moving forward. Um, Alex Pajero has gone to 205. Quite frankly, Izzy seems like a guy that probably won't fight at 205 ever again in my opinion maybe but um the adversities that he faced plus his body type you know he weighed in for that fight at light heavyweight like at 196 pounds i don't know if he fully respected jan blahovich's abilities um and still to this day jan blahovich has probably been the only guy to really fully out kickbox israel not to mention he was able to you know even more soundly out wrestle him um that's besides the point i'm just not too sure what the ufc is doing with this duplessis and whitaker match coming up this weekend on, on ufc 290 i'm really confused by it um i do have robert whitaker winning a fight like that and then again that just kind of leaves us in a weird spot um i think personally kind of talked about this in the first segment but Sean Strickland is the only fresh matchup. I do feel like um, the UFC could do a lot with Duplessis and the, you know, just selling the fight to us. Really, they could do a ton with that. Duplessis already, you know, done his whole thing. I, I don't, I'm not in favor of what he's doing to sell a fight with Israel, but he's done the whole thing where I'm the real African champ. I'm the be the first real African champion. You know, blah blah blah. Sean Strickland had Israel seething in their in a press conference they were in together and they weren't even matched up to fight. So just imagine if those dudes are matched up to fight. Um quite frankly, there could be if if Duplessis wins, they're not gonna do this, but something like Duplessis versus Sean Strickland in a title eliminator would probably make a lot of sense. But again, anyone that beats Robert Whitaker at, at middleweight pretty much deserves a title shot, in my opinion. Um Marvin Vittori, the way he lost to Jared Cannon here, he's kind of out of the title picture, in my opinion, unless he gets a couple more wins together. Um, just kind of leaves us in a weird spot. I'm um, Middleweight is one of those divisions, too, that's you know not very um, full of talent, I'll just say, for lack of better terms. Um, and we got guys like Hamzat Chemaev that can come in and, and get shot up the rankings right away. Um, Ikram Alaskirov is is fighting Paolo Costa. So that's another dude that you guys might want to keep your eye on in this middleweight picture. But right now, man, middleweight, 
with Israel reclaiming the title, Alex leaving, middleweight just seems to kind of be stuck in the mud. Um, guys, if you guys, if you guys or girls, anyone listening to this, please comment below or shoot me a DM um, and let me know what you guys think the UFC should do with this middleweight title picture. Should they wait, you know, to see how this weekend's UFC 290 plays out? I think that they should probably do that. Um, totally in favor if if Drikas Duplessis again can figure out some way to pull the rabbit out of the hat. But these odds, him being at like plus 310, I think it should be even wider for Robert Whitaker. Um, as we move on to the next segment, I'll, I'll you know go over some more betting odds with with those other fights. But I mean, the skill gap between Drikas Duplessis and Robert Whitaker is leaps and bounds, and unless Robert Whitaker really slips on a banana peel or gets old overnight, he should just school Duplessis. And that's just going to put the UFC in such a weird spot. Um, kind of pulling for Robert Whitaker because I also do think a fight um, between Israel and Sean Strickland would just be more entertaining for the buildup. Um, but guys, please totally, um, please totally reach out to me and tell me what you think. Comment below if you're watching on YouTube. Tell me what you think the UFC should do with the middleweight division. Um, just an interesting thought there. Um, and then I do want to kind of talk a little bit more about the Ultimate Fighter. And I know that you guys are all seeing the Ultimate Fighter stuff being leaked all over all over social media. Um, after this, this will come out on Tuesday, the 4th of July. Happy 4th of July, everyone. Um, if you're an American, happy 4th of July. If not... Um, Shout out to you either way, but there's been a leak and I'm wondering who's leaking all of these um, fight footage. It shows the the precursor to um, Connor and Chandler kind of getting into a little bit of a scrap in the octagon where he calls Chandler a Bellator tick. I thought that was a little bit funny. It's also been funny to watch Connor pace around the apex in his very tight three piece suit sweating bullets watching his fighters kind of just lose telling them they're doing a good job um but these these leaked videos I'm, I'm wondering where these leaks are coming from um we all know that um Holobot does submit and beat um connor's protege and connor would be now oh and six in the ultimate fighter and i just think it's it's going to be interesting to see if he even fights Michael Chandler. There seems to be, you know, a scruffle between him, between them both. And I'm more interested in just finding out where these leaks come from. Super interesting. Those are the two most things that I've been seeing cycle on social media the past week. And I wanted to just chat with you guys about it. Um, if you know where the leaks are coming from, let me know. Cause I'm curious. Um, obviously all this is pre-recorded and, and, um, based off of some of the footage that I've seen, I think that a couple of these fights are actually happening. Um, two or three fights are happening in one night. I could be totally wrong, um, but I think two or three of these fights are actually happening in one night. Um, and and the way that the the show is put together, they're just kind of stringing it on, you know, one fight per episode, fights at the end. Um, if you're not watching The Ultimate Fighter, I'm not really watching it. I just fast forward to the fight at the end. I'll watch the weigh-ins and then I watch the fight at the end. That's how I do it. It's kind of how I advise you do it unless you just, like the reality TV shit. Um, either way, it's been entertaining. Um, I love watching these uh, UFC vets just kind of beat up these prospects. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move on 
to the third segment of the show. This is called In With The New. And I would like to talk about some of these UFC 290 fights. International Fight Week. Headlined by Volkanovski and Yair Rodriguez. Really good fights. Um, the three fights that I have selected are Turner versus Hooker, Moreno versus Pantoja, and then obviously the main event. Um, we're going to go ahead and start with Jalen Turner versus Dan Hooker. We have Turner coming in at a minus 250 favorite, and then Hooker coming back at a plus 200 underdog. Um, and both of these guys, man, um, especially Dan Hooker, just he has been around for a long time in the UFC. Don't know how this dude ever made featherweight and what a career he's had Dan Hooker, quite frankly. Yeah. He's had some losses and, and those losses have been tough. Um, but he's also had some really good wins that, that his last fight that went over Claudio Puelas, that was a fight where Claudio kind of lost that one, um, for himself. Unfortunately, it seemed like, um, but prior to that, you know, his loss to Arnold Allen, his attempt to go down to 145 was bad. He took a lot of damage in that fight. Um, Dan Hooker is already a guy that's kind of foot slow. And the uh, shellacking that he took from Arnold Allen was bad. He did buzz Arnold Allen in an exchange. They were going, they were going back and forth, and he, he buzzed Arnold Allen, but he just could not keep up with um, – he could not keep up with – well, Arnold was given back to him before that his loss to Islam Mahashev, you know, that Kimura was, that was kind of where Habib was coaching, um, coaching him through the submission. That was really awesome. That's Islam Mahashev. The dude is like ranked number two pound for pound or number three in the world. And the only two dudes that are next to him are Volkanovsky and John Jones. We'll talk about Volk later. Um, beat Nasrat Hawk Paras. That was a good win. Um, before the Nasrat fight, he got knocked out by Chandler and then, Prior to that, you know, was that really brutal fight um, with Dustin Poirier. And we're, we're coming up just over three years ago when that fight happened. That fight happened June 27th of 2020. Um, as far as as far as far Jalen Turner, um, he's coming off a really close split decision with Matus Gamrot. Gamrot's really good. Um, before that, kind of club and sub Brad Riddell knocked out Jamie Malarkey. He looked great against Euros Medic. That is where he turned the leaf grappling-wise, I believe. He won that fight uh, via submission rear naked choke. Rear naked choked um, Brock Weaver, but Brock Weaver was up a division. And this this kid's came a long way. Um, I feel like Dana White calling him a kid. But if this, this guy's came a long way since his debut to Vincente Luque. Um, poor Dan Hooker. Even though he's a six-foot, six-foot-one light heavyweight, and he's a light heavyweight lightweight he's a big lightweight but they're just going to make him fight all the really big lightweights jalen turner 6'3 huge wingspan he's kind of like a miniature version of john jones um and his nickname is the tarantula makes sense um jalen turner i'm going to start off with what he's good at i think his probably his most slept on skill set in his striking within his striking are his teep kicks and his front kicks um, I love how he, he keeps his opponents at range with that. He'll pressure you against the cage with teep kicks and body kicks. His teep kicks are so deadly and so powerful, and he's got such long limbs, especially his legs. The dude is like 75% legs. And 
he loves to push his opponents up against a cage with teeps. And then he'll like to line up his really straight long punches, um, straight shots down the middle. He'll get people hurt and then he'll choke them out. Um, also, this dude is, I mean, is he just going to fight every Australian within his weight class? And he's, he's going to be called the Aussie killer before we know it. If he wins this weekend, he, his new nickname has got to be the Aussie killer. Um, his submission win over Brad Riddell for me was really impressive. And Brad Riddell is Volkan was Volkanovsky striking coach. Like the dude is, is high level, um, comes from a good camp and I could just see him taking advantage of, of Dan Hooker's abilities. What Dan Hooker does well, Dan Hooker as shown in the Dustin Poirier fight, he's really tough. However, I mean, look at his fight with Edson Barbosa too. Um, what Hooker showed in his fight with Dustin Poirier is just just so tough. But that fight has seems to have taken a lot out of him. He definitely has not looked the same since that Dustin Poirier fight, in my opinion. The beating he took from Edson Barboza was bad too. Barboza crushed some of body shots. Um, but again, what Dan Hooker does good is I think his wrestling is, is very um, kind of slept on. He got a lot, he's gotten takedowns against almost everyone. Um, he didn't want to go to the ground with Claudio Puelas, but Claudio Puelas was, you know, desperation grappling kind of from the start, the start, I'm going to remove that fight because I don't think that you can even tape study a fight like that and, and use that to make a pick on this fight. Um, they're just him and Jalen Turner are just so different, but Hooker's wrestling, man. He's got a, he's he's got good takedowns from inside the clinch. He's got good elbows, but I think what slept on is his blast double. He's got a really good blast double. If he wants to win against Jalen Turner, he's going to need to take this dude down, and he's going to need to do it a lot. He's going to need to hold position. Um, the way that MMA is scored today, they're going to fights are based off damage, um, and Dan Hooker, he's just foot slow for a for a guy. That's in this division. He's always seemed a little bit foot slow. When he went down to 145, Arnold Allen really exposed that. A guy like Jalen Turner, Jalen Turner's huge. He's long and lanky, um, but he cracks. He's one of those dudes that's just long and powerful. Um, what I think is going to happen in this fight, I think Jalen Turner is going to put that body kick on Hooker. I think he's going to watch that Edson Barbosa fight and, and really try to expose Hooker's body. Um, really, really just teep kick him to the body, try to push Hooker up against the cage. And I think he's probably just going to hit him with a straight shot and hurt him, maybe knock him out, um, probably knock him out in the first or second round. I could see Hooker having a little bit of success with his grappling, but I just don't think as good of a striker as Hooker is, he's got great knees, knees up the middle, stuff like that. How are you going to knee a, a guy that's six foot three up the middle? Jalen Turner is not going to be going for takedown, so there's not going to be anything for him to time that off of. Um, and what worries me for Hooker, if his game plan is to wrestle, is, you know, even though he lost that fight via split decision, Jalen Turner was able to, you know, scramble and and resist some of the wrestling from Matthias Gamrot. Gamrot's a better wrestler than Dan Hooker. Um, kind of all over Jalen Turner here. Um feel bad for hooker because this, if you look up, you know, go to suredog.com and just look at this dude's record. He's fought everybody. Um, he's been in blood and guts wars, Paul Felder, you know, Edson Barbosa, the list goes on and on. Dustin Poirier, the dudes fought everyone. Um, but 
it's maybe it for someone like him, especially, you know, at this level. Do kind of feel bad for Hooker too, man. Again, this is just a really tough fight for someone like him. Um, just such a, a clean, powerful, straight puncher as Turner. I'm all over Turner here. Minus 250 is a little heavy. If you like Turner in this fight, maybe try to find him via finish or, you know, the under, the under, maybe bet the under 1.5 if that's available, if you can find it somewhere. Um, this isn't a betting podcast, but that's kind of where I would lean. Um, moving on to probably my favorite fight on the card. You guys, if, if you're going to watch any fight this weekend, however you figure out how to watch your fights, buy the pay-per-view, whatever the heck you do, you need to make sure you have all your ducks in a row and you're seated down to watch the flyweight title fight, Brandon Moreno versus Alejandro Pantoja. Moreno is a two to one favorite here. He's a minus 200. Pantoja is coming in at about plus 166 is where I found him. That's like the best number I could find. Um, and that might change through the week. Um, this is a banger. Both of these dudes, blood and guts guys. Moreno is, I mean, if Mexico wanted a, a if the UFC wanted a Mexican UFC champion, like Moreno's that dude, his boxing is so crisp. His scrambling is great. He's so tough. He's so durable. Pantoja, all the same could be said for him. He, he's definitely more of a marauder. He's a crazy dude. His back take game might be the best in the UFC. That dude gets on your back. His ability to transition to the back and get a choke, whether it be a choke, neck crank, whatever it may be, he's freaking lights out. The dude is incredible. Um, he's beaten Brandon Moreno twice. One was an exhibition bout in the Ultimate Fighter. That's the only time Brandon Moreno's ever been finished. He he lost. He won via rear naked choke. That's how he wins. Um, and then his other fight, he beat Brandon Moreno via decision. And that was years ago. Moreno has definitely made tons of strides since then. Um, he. Uh, has had a couple draws, but again, that fight was five years ago. That was in 2018. Since then, he, he's racked up wins. This is Brandon Moreno. He's racked up wins against Kai Car France, Juicy Formigo, TKO Brandon Royvel, which Brandon Royvel has a lot of similarities to a guy like Pantoja. Um, draw with Figgy, beat Figgy, lost to Figgy. His one of his most he's coming off of two really impressive performances. His Kai Kara France fight, Kai Kara France has got really good boxing, really good striking. He, you know, him and Manal Cop and Figueredo are like three of the most dangerous dudes, you know, striking in the division. And Brandon Moreno's beat both of them. Um, that body kick just made Kai Kara France crumble, and then how he was just able to. See that this is my moment. I'm gonna go in there and finish. Incredible. And then that that TKO doctor stoppage that he got against Figueroa was a big leaping hook. Hit him with the corner of his knuckle straight in his eye. Um, effed up Figgy's eye. Figgy, Figgy thought it was an eye poke. Wasn't an eye poke. He got clubbed. He was losing that whole fight anyway up until there. That was kind of a a, a big level up moment in my opinion for Brandon Moreno. Um, as far as Alejandro Prantoja. The Cannibal, um, kind of a fitting nickname for this dude, too. He's just a freaking wild man. Um, he hasn't fought since July 30th of 2022, where he 
he got that that net crank submission um, against Alex Perez. Before that, rear naked choke against Brandon Royville. Before that, really impressive win. Unanimous decision over Menel Cop. It was a close fight. He has lost to Askar Askarov. Beat Matt Schnell, knocked him out. Did lose to Figueredo. Um, I, again, I think this is going to be fight of the night. Make sure you have everything together to watch this fight. Um, definitely want to catch the main event, but this is my fight. This is my fight of the night, guys. This is just an, an incredible fight. Um, interesting to see a guy that is a, a two to one favorite, even though he's lost both times. One thing to take into consideration is Brandon Moreno, um, has made a lot of improvements. Um, and he's clearly, if you put him in a head to head rivalry with somebody, he comes out on top. Look at his Figueredo fight. You know, he's, he's come out on top, draw, finish twice, and then lost one. He's lost twice to Alejandro Crantosia. He knows that he's lost. Um, I think Brandon Moreno has definitely made the more leaps in his game compared to Pantoja. I think Pantoja is kind of a finished product product. Um, Number one, he hasn't fought as often as I'd like to see him. He's 35 years old at a fly at flyweight, which like this is kind of it for Pantoja. Um, Pantoja will get into the pocket, rely on his chin, bite down on his mouthpiece and really and really let his hammers fly. Um, and that's where he thrives there because he will rely on his chin. Brandon Moreno, he's definitely a slicker dude. Um his boxing is really, really slick. I love his boxing. He keeps the high guard. He shoulder rolls. His kicking game has, has really improved. His body kicks are great. His leg kicks are great. His head kick is great. The kick, he, again, looping back to Kai Kara France, the kick he hurt Kai Kara France with. Chef's kiss, like beautiful shit. He knows where to target his opponents. That punch that he landed on Figueredo in his last fight, right in the eye. He knows how to target. He knows how to give out damage. One worry for me is he has been hurt. But again, that's Davison Figueredo. Look what Davison Figueredo did to dudes like Joseph Benavidez. Davison Figueredo beat cleanly Pantoja. Um, but Pantoja's very dangerous. I could see him clipping Moreno and then jumping on his back. These dudes, the, the scrambling ability from these two guys is incredible. Um, talking about his striking, Brandon Moreno's grappling. Again, chef's kiss. Like His ability to... He has a single leg takedown game. His single leg takedown game is great. His his scrambling is great. But one of my favorite takedowns that he does is he'll get that, he'll get like double underhooks, cut an angle and trip. And there are these like really quick trip takedowns where he's cutting an angle and he's already blasted on his opponents before they even have the ability to react. Um, his top game is good. I just think Brandon Moreno is a little bit better than Pantoja everywhere. The only place that he could get into trouble is if he were to get buzzed or put himself in a weird situation where he, you know, gives his back against the cage and Pantoja is able to take the back. Um, I'm so confident in Moreno in a five round fight too. He is such a headstrong dude. He knows how to game plan. He's going to be doing the tape study. And again, I just think he's improving every fight. We see this kid leveling up, leveling up, leveling up. Um, he's coming off of two, finish wins against Kai Kara France and Davison Figueredo. Um, and I just, you know, I could see him finishing Pantoja. He is, he could do that. He, he could finish him, you know, three minutes into the fourth round. And I would still be confident if Brandon Moreno lost the first two rounds, won the third round and the start of the fourth round is coming. I'm confident Moreno can win round four and five. Um, 
Minus 200 is a little bit interesting because he has lost to him twice. But again, you know, Moreno is battle-tested. Pantoja, both of these dudes, battle-tested. Both of these dudes are war machines. Flyweight is such a good division. Pound for pound, Flyweight is just, especially Moreno, he's, he needs to be more highly regarded by the UFC. The UFC really needs to, you know, show their praises for this guy. He is just so good. Um, and in my position, I'm not supposed to have favorite fighters, but um, just watching this guy's story, him being cut from the UFC, brought back to the UFC, and then to go on this this tear that he's on, it's just incredible. Um, very similar to Yaya Rodriguez in the main event, um, the current interim champ. I'm picking Moreno in this fight. I think Moreno's got what it takes. He's the man. Pantoja is also the man, but I'm I'm kind of all in on Moreno here. I think I think his jab is going to give him a lot of success. I think he's just going to be smart. I think he's going to use his fight IQ. I think he has higher fight IQ than Pantoja. And this is going to look like, you know, two stray cats fighting in a dumpster behind the cheesecake factory. If it's if the if they get into scrambles, it's it's just going to be a blast. Make sure you guys watch this one. Um All right guys, here we go. It's it's time for the main event. Um Alexander Volkanovsky minus 400 versus Yair Rodriguez coming in at plus 300. We have both of these guys are coming off of an impressive performances even though Volkanovsky did lose his fight to Islam Mahashev. That attempt to move up in weight to claim the lightweight belt was very different than Connor fighting someone like Eddie Alvarez, um, which is just a much favorable matchup. Um, Islam Mahashev was just not an extremely favorable matchup for someone, you know, for someone like Volk. And he went up there and he, you know, kind of clearly lost the fight. In my opinion, some people thought he won. You can go to MMA decisions and, and, you know, fight your fight over there, but he looked great against, Look great against Islam. Fifth round, drop them. Um, whether it was due to fatigue, whatever, drop, drop, drop the Islam raining down ground and pound. Yair Rodriguez is coming off of a super impressive performance over Josh Emmett. Um, unfortunately, Josh Emmett has since had a fight since then and and kind of lost a very one-sided fight against Ilya Toporia. And I, I feel like Yair Rodriguez's win would mean more. If that Josh Emmett fight didn't happen, either way, still super fucking impressive. Um, the last time Alexander Volkanovsky won a fight was July 2nd of 22. So just over a year, these dudes will be fighting on this Saturday. Um, his fight over Max Holloway was... We all thought Max Holloway had probably lost a step. Um, but since then, Max Holloway has come back and looked great. You know, looked great against Arnold Allen. Um, prior to his Max Holloway fight, he beat the living shit out of Chan Sung Jung. I know it was kind of a short notice deal, but that Korean zombie fight was just bad. He, he, he was even asking if he was okay during the fight. Volks, Volks fought everyone, man. You know, dicey moments against Ortega, but nonetheless, you know, basically dominated that fight prior to that split decision against Max Holloway. That one was very contested. I, I thought he lost that fight. Um, but, you know, either way, the fight before that, he he beat Max Holloway. That one was clean, in my opinion. Um, beat Jose Aldo. 
beat Chad Mendez, you know, and, and the, the list goes on. Um, his Chad Mendez fight, he did get buzzed and dropped in that fight, came back, finished Chad Mendez. Jose Aldo fight kind of just cleanly outworked Jose Aldo. Was Jose Aldo at the tail end of his career? Probably. Either way, still damn impressive. Um, Yair Rodriguez, this dude is just a freaking anomaly. He is one of one. Um, such a strange dude. His fight with Josh Emmett was so impressive, melting him with body kicks. Um, got buzzed, got dropped, got hurt in that fight. But this fight was still kind of one-way traffic. Josh Emmett took him down and got triangled. This dude at men's lightweight in the year of 2023 got a triangle off his back. That alone doesn't happen. Prior to that, he beat Ortega. It was via a TKO shoulder injury, but he was kind of beating the shit out of Ortega for the first four minutes and 11 seconds of that um, fight. Prior to that one, he lost against Max Holloway. Um, had a lot of success in that fight, though. The striking, I would say, was probably, you know, if I were to give it a percentage, I would say Yair probably won 60% of the striking in that fight, and Max probably won 40. Maybe I'm being generous for, for Yair, but Max was able to, you know, lean on his other skills, take him down, control him. It's also Max Holloway, one of the greatest featherweights of all time. Um, so that, you know, that is what it is. Prior to that, he was kind of MIA for a few years. You know, he he had those Jeremy Stevens issues where the fight ended via eye poke, where that was down in Mexico, where everybody was like throwing shit in the arena. He was cursing at Bisping, came back, beat Jeremy Stevens, and he's just seemed to, you know, come to form. You have to talk about the Chan Sung Jung weird back elbow. He hit Max Holloway with that elbow, too, by the way. Um, but he has seemed to really, really um, hone his game into just this offensive anomaly of weird athletic kind of awesomeness. Um, Yair Rodriguez is a pleasure to watch. I could watch his fight with Josh Emmett a hundred times in a row and love it the hundredth time. His, he's just incredible. He's one of the best athletes on the roster, just point blank period, physical attributes. The dude can, the dude can do things that I don't even know names for. He's like, he's like that, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was in another life, he would be like an Olympic gymnast. Like he's that level of athlete, just in, insane athleticism, but he's just, he's not only, an insane athlete, but he's definitely not like a nuts and bolts striker. The dude does everything crazy. Incredible kicking game. Great striking with the hands. His kicking game is just otherworldly. The way he was able to slice Josh Emmett in half with body kicks, just incredible. He switches from the head, switches from the body to the legs. Um, he's got really fast hands and good power. Another thing that's not really talked about a lot of his durability. Um, Yair Rodriguez is a super durable dude. You know, when he went away and he, he disappeared for a while, um, he also had like those weird USADA issues. He was also cut from the UFC. That, that means something. Um, came back and, you know, lost to Max, the weird thing with Volk, but then that, that interim title fight with Josh Emmett that no one really kind of thought he deserved. He went out there and showed everyone he 
definitely deserve to be there. As for Volkanovsky, it's Volkanovsky. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know damn well who the hell Volkanovsky is. The dude's a maestro. The dude is just a technical savant. Everything he does is just really, really good. Um, Shorter guy, shorter stock guy, but he's got very high fight IQ. He has long arms, actually. He's got pretty long reach. I think it's like 74 inches, which is kind of big for someone that size. Definitely longer reach than Max Holloway, even though Max Holloway kind of towered over him. Um, He really excels in a kind of front foot striking game where he, he does a lot of hand fighting, a lot of fainting. His his ability to switch stance and cut angles is par none. His head, his his leg kicks are just great. He's got great kicker. He, that's how he kind of, you know, nullified Max Holloway in their previous bouts. Great leg kicks. Um, and his boxing is just so tricky. He's also a good wrestler. Um, if you've heard Joe Rogan, everyone's going to say he's weighed 200 pounds, blah, 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 whatever. He's also a really good athlete, really strong. Um, but I think his number, like his number one skill set, like the thing he does best is he's just really mentally there. Like he doesn't get broken down by these big moments. He, you know, for example, Cowboy, Cowboy Cerrone would would show up and kind of melt under pressure. Um, Volk thrives in this pressure. You know, he he lost to Islam, but that was a huge fight. Their pound for pound rankings were, you know, not only were belts on the table, but they were very concerned about their pound for pound. And and Volk just never seemed to be bothered by that moment. Um, he does everything everything so well he sets up his strikes with his jabs he's he's really good at um he's really good at baiting shots out of people and countering their counters um his fainting game he freezes people with his feints his feints are so good again his leg kicks are good he has the ability to throw a leg kick switch stance faint bait, bait a shot out of you and then throw a shot right over your shot he's got fast hands good reflexes He's getting a little bit older, but again, he didn't start MMA until late in his life. And he, he's kind of, you know, another one of those anomaly one of one type dudes that has the ability to even, you know, in his mid thirties in a lower weight class, just be an absolute killer. Um, where I see him having success in this fight is there were moments where, you know, Max Holloway did have success. There was, I saw a clip rolling around online the other day when I was doing my tape study, it also came back to me, but in the year, Max Holloway fight, there was a moment where they both kind of traded jabs and then traded twos. So straight shots down the pipe behind the jab and Yair pop up through a one, two stung Max. And then Max just kind of hung in the pocket and pop up, hit him back with another one, two. Um, and they both kind of, you know, Max is just so durable. Um, Yair kind of seemed to get a little more buzz by it, even though Yair seemed to be the harder puncher. Max is just so durable. Um, Yair is also ungodly tough. He took a lot of damage from Max Holloway. Both of those dudes walked out of that fight like they were in an absolute car crash. Um, but where I think Volk can have success is I, I think if he really mixes in his wrestling, he needs to figure out how to stifle Yair Rodriguez. Yair Rodriguez is so dangerous at kicking range and at mid range with his weird attacks but he's also shown to be freaking super dangerous. If you try to crash the pocket Chan Sung Jung with like one second left in the last round of their fight, Chan Sung Jung crashes the pocket. He gets hit with that weird inverted up elbow buries him. Um, he hurt Max Holloway with it. 
he's got good knees. He's got flying knees, jump knees, a jumping, a jump switch knee. And if Volkanovsky can figure out how to just kind of take the wind out of Yair's sails, I think that's what he needs to do. I think he needs to freeze Yair with feints, bait those big attacks out of him, and then try to take him down and just really, really stifle him. If he can take him down, um, one thing to be mindful of is Yair is so dangerous off his back. The second he gets on his back, he's just throwing elbows like crazy, throwing up submissions. He will use submission attempts to escape escape from bottom. He will throw up arm bars and he will throw up triangles, up kicks, the up kicks he hit Josh Emmett with. Incredible. Um, he's just a whirling dervish of just, I mean, it, it's like the scene of that movie 300 where they shoot all the arrows at once. That's just kind of how Yair's offense is. It's just so much all at once, so fast, so deadly. Um, I really think Volkanovsky needs to mix up his wrestling to have success in this fight. The more he mixes up the wrestling, the more he baits stuff out of Yair, maybe tries to freeze him with feints, get him a little bit tired, take the wind out of his sails. Then that's where he can open up with his striking. Volkanovsky's got five-round cardio for effing days. I think he's got eight-round cardio. The dude's a fucking machine. He's a killer. He's great. Um, Yari Rodriguez, I don't know if he has that type of cardio. He did show against Max Holloway. He can hang tough. Um, where Max Holloway had success in the pocket with Yair, a big part of that was Max Holloway really relying. Number one, he's crafty as shit. Number two, he really relied on his durability there. From the tape study that I've seen, Volkanovski is not as durable as Max Holloway. Volkanovski has been hurt by Chad Mendes, hurt by Ortega, hurt by Max Holloway. I might've said that already and hurt by Islam dropped to his knee in, in multiple fights. Um, knees and head kicks are what has hurt Volk. Volk has a tendency of kind of leaning into kicks at times. Um, I think Yaya Rodriguez could have a lot of success in this fight, but if he has, if he has the success, number one, it's going to happen fast and it's got to happen, happen early within the first two rounds. Um, I think for Yair to win this fight, he needs to, you know, respect Volkanovski as an opponent, but also not respect. He needs to get his foot on the gas, go after, throw a bunch of volume at him, throw caution to the wind, do what he does best, get dynamic, get crazy, get athletic. He's one of the only dudes in the division that's going to be probably faster and more athletic than Volkanovski. Um, I could totally see him, you know, body kick, body kick, body kick. And then just throwing like a jump switch kick. He throws this jumping scissor kick that is just, God. I mean, if you're one of those people that you think like wrestling is hugging or you think that grappling is lame, whatever, whatever, the Ira Rodriguez should be your favorite fighter. Um, and out of all of the, out of all of the underdogs that are big underdogs on this card, like Drikas Duplessis versus Robert Whitaker has sim similar gambling odds to this. Where I think the the space, you know, and skills and dangerousness between Duplessis and Whitaker is miles apart compared to Volkanovsky and Yair. I think Yair as a three to one underdog is kind of crazy. And that just goes to show you, number one, how high, highly respected and how good Volkanovsky really truly is. Volkanovsky a, is a maestro. He's incredible. But... I'm going to pick an upset and I'm going to pick an upset because I think that Volkanovsky and his Islam Mahasha fight showed he can be hit 
and buzzed by a guy that might be a little bit slicker there. Um, Islam had a lot of success on the feet through the openings of that of those first one through three rounds against Volk. You can't let someone like Yair Rodriguez have that same success. You're going to listen to this. Y'all are going to think I'm crazy. Um, I think Yair is going to knock him out. Um, I know it's a long, I know it's a stretch. I know it's a long shot. Um, and, and what's the point of me doing this show to just pick favorites? I'm not going to gamble on this fight. Um, so it's not going to cost me anything to pick a favorite. Only humility for me to come back and have to eat crow next Tuesday. Um, I just think Yair is going to be able to catch him with something. Um, Volkanovsky's getting older. He's been buzzed in his fights. He's he's very durable, very tough, but he has been hurt. And I just think I, I just have a weird feeling. It's one of those things where, you know, mid thirties, super highly touted guy, been at the top of his game forever. Eventually, he's gonna have to fall. Um, and I think Yair is gonna be the one to do it. Incredible fight. Really, really good pay-per-view event. I'm, I was so super excited to come talk to you guys about this. There's so many great fights on this card, too. I mean, hopefully you guys tune in from, from front to back. You got Robbie Lawler fighting Nico Price, and you, you got Bo Nickel fighting Trayshawn Gore. There's just so many great fights on this card, and just tune into it. It's going to be not – this is not one to miss. Uh, that's going to be the show. Wrapping it up. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, please like, subscribe, reach out to me. Dev Ghost Fishing on all of the social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram. My direct messages are open. Um, shoot a comment here on YouTube if you're on YouTube. If you have any questions, anything to say, you know, call me out. If the, if I'm wrong on this, comment on this and tell me, hey, dude, you're wrong. Um, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Um, Thank you so much again and enjoy the fights, everyone. <laughs>